And I, I made the choice to, to focus on music because I was like, someone actually cares enough to put, you know, a thousand dollars behind my record. Welcome to the DIY Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Nico Santana. This is brought to you by DistroKid. Get 7% off your yearly membership plan, distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash Nico Santana. Welcome everybody to the DIY Artist Podcast. My name is Nico. I have a special guest with me today. Of course, every guest is special, but this just happens to be a good friend of mine. Uh, He goes by DGH. He has been an independent musician, artist, uh, band member. I mean, he's done it all. And uh, he'll tell you the story. So I'm just happy to have him on the podcast today. And uh, DGH, welcome, man. Oh, dude, thank you for... uh for having me for uh you know congratulations on your inaugural season and i'm happy to be number two thank you so much yeah man no i i'm i'm honored because this guest has um we've worked on music together we we have one of my favorite records that i've ever been a part of to date Uh, it's called dream big you can actually stream it on spotify apple music and all your favorite platforms of course dsps um but you know more importantly we just we just like to build each other up as artists we we talk about life we talk about everything in between uh, very supportive and um you know he's been doing this music thing way longer than i have uh but at the same time uh, we're very like-minded in many regards so uh, before i get started with this episode i just want to give a huge shout out to distrokid distrokid is and should be your uh one and only one-stop shop for all distribution needs for your music uh, get seven percent off your first year's annual membership plan using my vip link distrokid.com forward slash vip forward slash nico santana one of my favorite features of distrokid is promo cards so if you didn't already know as a member included in your membership plan uh, you have access to what's called promo cards and basically it enables you to have a vertical aspect ratio uh, promotional flyers if you will that you could pop into instagram stories or tiktok with your cover art for any of the releases that you've released through DistroKid. So check that out, distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash Nico Santana. All right, DGH. So um, first off, man, I just want to ask you, how did you get started in music? When was the first time you picked up an instrument? Oh boy, Um, probably similar to a lot of people. I started uh, in church. You know, I grew up in a very small town and my parents, took us to church when I was a kid. And so I grew up going to a Lutheran church, which is very dark (laughs) (laughs) and, and the music is really challenging. And I, even now, like I'm not a, I I can't read music uh, or anything like that probably would have served me when I was a kid if I had learned it, uh, especially to try and sing those hymns. Um, But so I grew up trying to, sing along, you know, how to, how to sing in church, that stuff. And then got into choir when I was in high school and did like mad, I think it's called madrigal. Um, also I think they were kind of like religious old, old timey religious songs, mm-hmm. um, in the choir that I was in, didn't quite make it into show choir. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I blame Round Valley high school, uh, teacher Bill Weiser for denying me my Tony. Um, that's fine. But I, so I was just, I was singing, uh, good and bad, mostly bad, I'm sure. And then picked up a guitar my senior year in high school, a little bit late. Um, and I think some, like a coworker or someone, something gave me one. And I took a couple lessons from a gal through our church. who was actually like 
kind of young, not like an old, old, old gal. Mm-hmm. So she knew like, like her favorite band was Social Distortion, and mm. I thought that was so cool. And I didn't, I don't really know them, but I, I, I brought her this like <clears throat> Alice in Chains album. I was like, this sounds really cool. I want to learn how to play this, these songs. And the same with like, I, I brought her like a Neil Young album. You know, I, I say I brought her all these things, but I think we really only hung out for like a week <laughs> or two because I quickly learned that I'm not, I had no interest in guitar lessons. So I just started like playing along to stuff, like playing along to Green Day and, and uh, you know, Alice in Chains and trying to figure stuff out. Um, That's dope, man. That's dope. So, it, you know, the guitar, the first guitar I had, like the, the strings were like a mile off the fretboard. Yeah. And which was horrible then. But <laughs> now I look at it and I go, yeah, I'm kind of glad that I had that right. experience where like it's really challenging to learn a thing, but I still did it, you know, yeah. and now playing guitar is easier because I had that like painful experience. Yeah. Painful. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, that's funny you say that. Uh, I, you know, I, I started out in in choir but not not church choir i mean i i grew up going to church as well and and for me like um my first experience with choir practice was actually at my elementary school i was telling i was telling my wife anita this the other day it's funny because i think it was fourth grade um there there's just a lot of parallels between your story and mine so this is why i'm sharing it but um in fourth grade there was like a choir tryout after school and uh, i went because i just like music so i ended up going and I remember these two guys that were, we had to try out for choir, believe it or not. It was elementary school. There wasn't much of a, a standard there. I mean, I don't, I don't think they were like telling us like, no, you suck. You can't be part of the choir. I think as long as you tried, like that's all that mattered, right? Yeah. So these two guys come up. I remember their names, Jared and Kevin. They come up. Those guys. Jared and Jared Kevin. Jared and Kevin. JK. Yep. JK. Come on. And uh, they sang uh, uh, Miss Jackson by Outcast, right? Together. <laughs> Wow, I I remember that vividly, and that was kind of like one of my first memories in, uh, you know, with music or whatever. And then of course we choir practice fourth grade. I think it was third third and fourth grade. Um, but then yeah, similar to you, man. I picked up a guitar. I think it was like one of those Walmart kitty guitars at the time, and I really wanted to learn it, but you know, um, that just that guitar didn't last very long. So uh, <laughs> my parents ended up finding a local guitar shop nearby, and I think in fifth grade uh, I was around eight, maybe nine. Um, I started getting lessons from this guy who was just really cool, like really cool, super chill dude. was probably like six one, maybe he was like five ten, but I was so small. He looked like six five something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but, but he taught me all these, like, like I want to say old school, but they weren't really old school. Just a lot of old classical guitar, um, classical rock kind of. And then some, Mm -hmm. some newer like punk stuff. And, um, even though I wasn't really into that genre of music, I was more like hip hop minded and R and B. That's that's what I liked. Like he showed me a new world, right? He showed me everything that that he listened to, and um, he was part of some band, some local band. But anyways, man, uh, yeah, I, that's how I started too, the guitar and choir. So it's 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 funny you bring that up. Now, h- how was your transition from, you know, picking up the guitar senior year? I know you mentioned that you didn't learn to read music, but but I mean, you, you're, at least in my eyes, you're a phenomenal guitar player. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, and, and, and I, know, I know you were in, in bands or a band. What was, I mean, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, uh, and thank you. My f- real kind of education through 
what to learn how to play guitar was you know playing along to mm-hmm. things that I liked. Um, like I mentioned, like an Allison Chain Chains record or whatever. But my first, I grew up in a small town in Arizona, and as soon, the day I graduated, I moved to Phoenix, uh, which to me was the big city, and <clears throat> started going to shows, mm-hmm. um, and was like, man, that's a thing that I would love to do. And so some other kind of nerdy friends and I started a band and we were called Kendrick, which I Ooh. was, a, 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 I know, very weird. It was a, <laughs> a, a street in a town called Flagstaff, Arizona. And I took a picture of this like in black and white a long time ago and and it the street sign of, of the name. And I thought that was cool. And I was like, oh, I should like do a band or something. So that mm-hmm. when we were looking for names, uh, that was the first one that jumped out, and we stuck with it. And I, um, I played bass in that band because okay. we were we were a tight three piece. We were a sloppy three piece, but uh, <laughs> my buddy Brian was playing guitar, so I played bass and and screamed. And that was really my first, you know, experience being in a room making music mm. from my body that mm. was, um, you know something that i helped create i think wow it wasn't that wasn't like a hymn or me just trying to figure out like a jimmy Eat world song or right. a, a green day song or something um and that was really fun you know we sucked we practiced in the basement of my uh the place i worked at that time and then around that time i think i was starting to like make plans to to move to phoenix or to move to seattle mm-hmm. uh so i moved to seattle in 99 and then really kind of got serious about all of it um because yeah. phoenix was a bit of a <clears throat> hard place to be as an artist <laughs> i'm sure you know bands like jimmy Eat world and some other you know bands got got big Excuse and me rightfully so Mm -hmm. but you know as like an independent person that didn't have major labels coming to your shows i wanted to try something different and um so came to came to seattle and that was 99 and then recorded my first record in 2001 i feel like that was a long-winded answer no 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 uh, this is perfect there there we are (laughs) i like that i I'm, i'm a story guy right and as i mentioned to you like i grew up on hip hop and one of the things that I really loved about hip hop was just listening to people's stories of how they got to where they were. Um, and I mean, I have the Nas album right there, Illmatic, and seeing this young kid from from the projects make it from from there to where he is now. If I'm not mistaken, he's like a venture capitalist investing in like cryptocurrency uh, platforms like Coinbase and whatnot, making crazy amounts of money. But that's not the point. The point is that the story that come up is to me the the, the most uh, interesting part and listening to your story while I've listened to it before from a different perspective or maybe in a new setting or this conversation is, is, is super helpful for me. And I know it is for a lot of um, people out there that are, are listening to these types of podcasts. Um, so you mentioned that Kendrick was your first band and you were playing the bass. Um, you mentioned Phoenix was not necessarily the place where you wanted to be, or at least be discovered if that was the route that you wanted to take. So what was so attractive about Seattle? What what pulled you into that scene? And also with that question, what was the music scene like? Music scene like there, uh, as compared to you know Phoenix? What how was that dichotomy? Um. So and this is going to be such an old guy story. I'm 45. <laughs> you know, I I grew up on grunge. Mm. <laughs> you know that mm-hmm. to me grunge happened right 
at the perfect moment. Yeah. You know, I was in high school in 90 to 94. And so I, I, I loved the movie Singles. And I still do. Uh, it's like one of the first Cameron Crowe movies. And it takes place in Seattle. And it has a bunch of dudes from like different bands and stuff. Um, and as I wanted to go visit Seattle. So mm -hmm. in 97, my sister and I... Um, you know, took a, a weekend trip and went to Seattle, walked around, got tattooed. Mm -hmm. uh, she did. I didn't, uh, <laughs> which is funny. And uh, just kind of wandered and, and realized, man, the climate here is really nice. Like, you know, the hills kind of suck. But, <laughs> you know, we, there's music happening. And we were literally here for like three days. I came back to Seattle or came back to, to, to Phoenix. And then kind of over the next 18 months, kind of set my sights on it. Hmm. I was like, all right, I got to get out of Phoenix and I'm going to move to Seattle. So my roommate and dude I grew up with at the time um, was like, cool, let's go. I want to go too. And then another f like friends from Phoenix who I'm still really close friends with was moving to Seattle at the same time. So I had this like mini kind of community already. Hmm. Um, but music in Seattle obviously it transitioned out of grunge right. and was heavily into like indie. So like an actual moment I remember was one of my first or second year living here. Um, I went to a local show at a place called the break room, which is now uh, called chop suey, a venue, a beautiful venue here that I've played a few times. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was death cab for cutie and Pedro the lion. And this is, we're talking like a, I don't know, two to 300 capacity room. Mm -hmm. And those are both massive artists now. And I, so Nate Mendel, who is not in the Foo Fighters yet, but was in Sunday Day Real Estate, one of my favorite bands ever, was like standing at the bar. And I, I kind of had this super terrible that I'm ashamed of fanboy moment <laughs> where I went up and talked to him and I was like, oh my God, I love, you know, Sunny Day Real Estate. And he was like, thanks a lot, whatever. And then wandered off. Um, but it was to me that that moment is a moment that I remember as kind of solidifying me being here. Wow. I was like, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to see Death Cab and Pedro the Lion. And I just annoyed Nate Mendel. I feel like I can fit in. <laughs> and uh, so there it was. And then I just I I'd always kind of written some songs in my bedroom and started going to more and more shows. Um, you know, I lived in downtown Seattle so I could walk to shows every night. And um, there was a songwriter that I really like, still do, named Greg Markle. He makes uh, guitar pedals and modular synth gear now. But at that time, he was focusing on songwriting and being a, a producer. <clears throat> and I bugged him. I was, hey, I have a few songs I'd love to record them with you. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So, and that was literally two weeks ap after September 11th when I recorded my first record, like wow. of 2001. Wow. Um, and I remember just going and he, his, at the time his studio was in the, the basement of his house and we spent like two days. Uh, my roommate, uh, my dude that I also moved to Seattle with came and played like, you know, guitar on it some guitar and sang backup and we cranked out five songs in two days and then greg asked to put it out on his label um which was was small at the time but for me it was like a, a, a 
kind of the catalyst of like, mm-hmm. am I gonna am I gonna focus on music or am I am I just gonna like screw around? Yeah. And I I made the choice to to focus on music because I was like, someone actually cares enough to put, you know, a thousand dollars behind my record and wow. and press CDs or something, you know, at that time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that got a little sidetracked, but um, that's kind of my story of like how I got to Seattle and how I. And kind of got involved in in wanting to make music and and do things huge man no thank you for sharing and um again you know just pulling from your story and kind of paralleling it to mine just to see the two the co- contrasting worlds like you're in high school in in the early 90s and and not to not to put anyone you know above anyone or, or, or to shame or, or make anyone feel different like it doesn't matter what age bracket you are you know i was born in the 90s right and at the same what? time <laughs> <laughs> at the same time like there are so many parallels like the story can repeat itself over and over again and i think that that's kind of the the thing that i'm trying to carry out with this podcast is here's the thing it, it may not be a unique story you're trying to pursue music not you dgh but like people in general um and and there are nuggets of wisdom that we can pull from each each people or each person's story and apply to our own and not not to cut corners but maybe expedite or or kind of I don't know make the process a little bit easier or faster or whatever it is and and hopefully give you a shot to do what it is that you want to do and in my world at the time when I thought I had a, sh- a shot at music which again still might have I'm not saying that it's not going to happen but moving- yeah, I was going to ask like when did you kind of you know transition out of sixth grade choir into <laughs> I want to do stuff on my own yeah well um I'll get into that in a moment, but one of yeah, the things yeah. that I wanted to highlight was was the moving aspect and just kind of that new environment and introducing right. myself to a new environment. So I grew up in, uh, in in full circle here. I grew up in this small town. I'm, I was born in Columbia, uh, moved to the States when I was seven years old. So pretty traumatic experience, but I'll, I'll get into that some other time. Um, but when I moved in to, or I moved to the United States, we moved with my grandma, who at the time, my mom's mom, was living in this small suburb of uh, like Palm Beach, Florida, called Jupiter. And uh, sounds weird, I know, but it's a small little town, the town of Jupiter, believe it or not. Uh, Burt Reynolds is sheriff of Jupiter, Florida. He actually used to live there, met him once. R.I.P. Um, was. R.I.P. was, yeah. Um, and uh, anyways, so yeah, I grew up there and, and you know, as, as one of the few Hispanic kids in my school, um, uh, always felt kind of like an, an outcast. Uh, I mean, totally, you know, not only was I below everyone's uh, income level as far as, you know, the, the manner in which I grew up, because everybody else was well off to do, at least in the school that I went to, which is in, in a nicer part of town. Um, but, you know, I also looked the way I looked. I spoke the way I spoke, which at the time was more of a Spanish accent than I, than I have now, uh, if, if I have any. But you um, were speaking English I was speaking time? English, yeah. Um, apparently I learned it in like three months, but I mean, that's kind of kids, they absorb stuff, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. So moving out of that environment, coming to Tampa, Florida, where I am now currently, and just experiencing kind of like a different world fueled me and my pursuit of music as well. I grew up on hip hop because that was the one thing that I could relate to, like the underdog, the, 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 the person that made it out, you know, and a lot of the stories that I heard from people growing up in the hood were, were stories that I could relate to, at least from Colombia, from from my experiences in Colombia. And so, yeah, moving to, 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 to Tampa, at least, even though, you know, we're more a generation apart, perhaps not even, um, you know, it, it, it was it was similar experience like you going to Seattle. Like for me, it was like, 
I went to a studio that where like DJ Khaled recorded um, one of his hit singles. I, I I don't remember which one, and I recorded like. Is one that of the my one singles. where he goes? Yeah, I think it was DJ Khaled. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was one of those. <laughs> I think it was all I do is win. I, I could be wrong, but it had like everybody and their mom on it. But that's not saying a lot. I feel so. like I feel like his job. I don't even know what he does. He shows up and says. DJ Khaled, it's and then that it's like meme, featuring man. DJ Khaled. It's that but meme. I know he like makes beats and stuff. But no, like, but he I doesn't, just... <laughs> right? He doesn't. Apparently, he doesn't because he he's just like the guy that you know pulls the strings or whatever. That's a nice beat you got there. Can that's I yell like my an name executive on it? producer role, not right. a producer role. Exactly. <laughs> but at least he gets that feature. For yeah, saying, yo, dude. DJ Khaled making that's making so that money, man. He's doing well for himself. Yeah, um, good for him. Yeah, dude. Um, no, but the way that I got it. So, so going back to your to your question, the way that I got from sixth grade to one of my buddies, like he, you know, he's killing it. He's a he's a he's a Microsoft now account executive. I won't say his name, but um, not because I don't want to give him credit. I just I, I don't want to put him on blast in case or event he doesn't want people to know. Uh, <laughs> but he had torrented at the time a mp3 mixer program and i remember i was at his house we were in high school so i i again guitar lessons from like fifth grade to to like ninth grade i think it was um didn't do much music stuff then i'd listen to a bunch of you know hip-hop hardcore hip-hop thinking i was like some some thug from south florida but i really wasn't um like i said grew up (laughs) going to church you know singing choir whatever uh and uh anyways so yeah like he he got me this mp3 mixer man and we just started rapping like the most obnoxious vulgar like just stupid stuff like you know little high schoolers do whatever and can i ask what that program was called i think it was called mp3 mixer i think that's what it was called what it was called i'm pretty sure it was called mp3 mixer i could be wrong it's so funny because i got like a hacked version of this thing in like 2000 called Mm -hmm sound edit and it was literally it was just like a one track recorder yeah. and it had a dog like as you know like uh the the clippy clippy that's what it was but like the clippy was a little dog oh yeah I and he would that. like give you little tips and all it would do was record one track okay so i would just like that's how i got that's how it literally how i learned how to play guitar and sing at the same time no way because i was like well, I can't multi-track. Right. Like my brain knew what it was back then, but so I just have to like learn how to do it at the same time if I want to remember this idea. Yeah. So I just like got good at that, and that's how I did it. Um, a thing I struggled with, but anyway, it's funny that we both were like, "Well, we stole some crap off the internet." Yeah. And I mean, isn't that how everybody <laughs> starts making record. music? Like, <laughs> I feel like everybody has that that story. Yeah. Like some hacked, you know, daw. Not even a daw. Yeah. I mean, this is like two track thing for me it was i think i think that's what it was like you could stack two tracks you had two tracks yeah yep that's why it was track. called mp3 mixer yep it was mp3 you mixer mix. yep that yep. <laughs> they called this one sound edit but there was uh-huh. no editing like oh. i could take the the the, the sound of like no sound off the front and the back that was like the only edit <laughs> like i could crop it but i'm not going to be able to chop it yeah uh anyway and sorry. no man and, and i think this is cool because here's the thing like i, I think a lot of us and myself included to this day, to this day, uh, I think that, you know, I need all, all this crazy equipment to sound good. And sure, you might need quality equipment eventually to get to a place where you could present your product and it'd be professional. But to start out, I mean, you really don't need much. And for you, it was the sound edit program. For me, it was MP3 Mixer. And just like you were practicing your 
songs and songwriting with you know with with a, a sound edit for me i was practicing rap, like how to rap like that was what i wanted to do even though i had the guitar um, as kind of like my first love and introduction to music and i learned how to read music but honestly like it got to a point where my interest just dipped because it felt it felt a little forced with the with the weekly uh lessons that Oof. i kind of yeah. do you still remember how now yeah, a little bit, yeah, and and eventually I went back to to sing in choir and stuff like that, and I kind of just remembered some of it, but not enough to like keep up with like musicians, quote unquote, that actually know how mm-hmm. to. So, but yeah, I would I would I would come back after school because I, I I went to a it was called a magnet school at the time. I'm st- I'm sure they they still have them around, but it was a school that was purposefully put in the projects, but for higher like what's the word I'm looking for? Like not, um, for students that, that did well in school that, you know, they had magnet programs so that you could like excel and, and potentially, uh, do like dual enrollment and all that other stuff. But that's besides the point. The point was that because my school was so far away and I was kind of in the hood, I, I felt like, yo, like this is kind of my, my chance to be a part of this world that I've, I've, I've always wanted to be a part of that I've always related to more than the world that I'm in right now. So I would go back to, you know, back home. I didn't have a lot of friends since they all lived like an hour apart. And I would just turn on this MP3 mixer, jack some beat from from the internet, probably like an instrumental, and just start rapping every day for like, I can't even, probably like at least a year or two straight. And so were you like freestyling? Um, or did you Were you going like through, all right, I'm going to hit record and open my notebook? Both. Um, at first, it was freestyled, so we like just punch and play or punch and record or whatever. Um, but then I wanted to get really intricate with the lyrics. I started studying like guys like I don't even know if he's around or if people know about him. Uh, Papoose, obviously, you guys know Fabulous. Uh, I think well, not obviously, but he's a little bit more recognizable than than Papoose was. All these New York rappers. I started getting into like the New York hip hop scene because at the time, all I listened to was like trap music, right? So mm-hmm. like Young Jeezy and Ti and uh, Ludacris, like all these guys that were just like super like dirty South, you know. And and it felt like my my brain was slowly withering away a little bit, but. At the same time, some of them had like really good stories, you know. It's just some of the stuff that was playing on 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 the radio just wasn't all all that for me. And then eventually, I got into like some of these New York ra- New York rappers, and I related to New York rappers because Columbia, Bogota, at least the way where I was from, mm-hmm. was more closely aligned to like New York City than you know some of the South um, su- Southern rappers or whatever. But yeah, I started learning like rhyme structures and how. They, um, you know, uh, yeah, rhyming patterns and structures and how they uh, use metaphors and, and double entendres. And I, I really like the poetry of rap. And then I started listening to like Most Def and Talib Kweli and Common and all these guys that were a little bit more um, just different. You know what I mean? And then I started getting into like more underground rap and and that's the course that I went. But uh, that was all through high school. So, I mean, I, I mean, there's just way more detail than that. But. Uh, you know, going back to what you were saying, you went from grunge to a little bit more indie stuff. Like for me, it was like mainstream Dirty South rap, the stuff that was around me in my environment to now moving further into studying some of the older, you know, guys in the game, like Notorious B.I.G. and some of the East Coast guys to eventually like some some more of like the underground rap that true hip hop heads would say that, you yeah. know, were were like really in the love, were really in it for the love of the music. 
Um, so now you're in Seattle, and are you pursuing a like a, a record deal at this time, or what's your what's your mo? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> but one thing I want to jump back on, which I think would be an interesting thing to chat about, is you know I've always been really terrible at at like paying attention to lyrics mm. or um, r- I feel writing lyrics. Mm-hmm. I've always been more focused on the music behind it and the vocal melody. So that's the thing I lock onto. Ooh. But I love hip hop. Yes. Uh, and I, there are certain records that I've listened to a thousand times where, <clears throat> where if I tried to like, quote unquote, rap along, <laughs> which was a thing like I, you know, at the same time of listening to grunge, I was listening to equal amounts hip hop. Like it was like Pearl Jam and Tribe Called Quest. Like wow. that was the whole world for me. And so, but I could never latch on to the lyrical content. And I think it's fascinating you going like, well, I'm going to listen to, you know, the first Nas record. And to me, like lyrically, that's really like, there's a lot of depth to it. I know that's a thing, but it, in my world or where my brain is i was never like oh lyrically i understand this mm-hmm. or you know maybe that's because i'm like a white guy <laughs> that doesn't live in in new york but i also never even through like listening to pearl jam didn't latch onto it and gotcha. so I, I i like like the flow and there's a lot of melody in 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 hip-hop which yep. A lot of people don't understand. You right. know, people will be like, "Well, all you all all, all rappers do is talk." Mm-mm. Like, no, it's not. Rapping is basically a shorter version of singing. Yeah. Like, if someone's rapping out of key, you know, You're right. <laughs> you know. You and so it. I love that melody and I love the rhythm of it. And that's the thing that I always was attracted to. And I I love hearing a different per- perspective from you going like. Well, I, I really resonated with, or the, the, the lyrics side really mm-hmm. resonated with me. Um, I just think it's cool, like how people listen to things differently. Yeah. Know? Yeah. There was an interview recently that I, uh, I listened to. It was Tyler, Tyler, the creator, and he was talking about um, how people digest music differently. Right. And to your point, you know, my frame of reference came from lyrics, whereas somebody like you would dissect the music and the musicality behind a record. Um, And as I grew older and as I began learning more about instrumentation and actually like sitting down with musicians and learning like different roles, right? And and even working at a studio for a short bit of time and learning how to like mic a drum set versus like a vocalist versus any other instrument, like it helped, it helped it bring, it helped me to bring it full circle. And whereas when I first started, I was trying to fit as many words as I could on a track or a record. Um, as I evolved, eventually, I started paying attention more to how it melded with the song and and the production behind it and and the cadences. And then I started studying people like Notorious B.I.G., who, from what I understand, again, obviously, I never met him in person, but uh, he would listen more to R&B than hip hop. And one of his things was you know, his cadence, right? B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A, right? And it sounded like more like a jazz player over a track, mm-hmm. like rapping than it did, you know, somebody who who had no concept of, of music. To your point, yes, I mean, hip hop is, is, is very musically, uh, gosh, I mean, obviously the verse is, that's an understatement, but um, but there, it pulls apart from so many different genres in so many different ways. Even now, it continues to evolve with the use of auto-tune mm-hmm. and, and how different people implement that. Um, 
so yeah and, and no thank you for that man yeah I, I i grew i grew to love hip-hop because of the lyrics and the uh lyricality of it to, to be able to tell my own story and to feel like i could express myself as somebody who lacked that platform before as somebody who didn't have that growing up and then i felt like i could be heard finally you know what i mean but as time goes on and you process things as an adult you learn about yourself, you figure out like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Oh, I'm just trying to cope with the world around me and blah. And, and then eventually to grow to to really appreciate every facet and aspect of the music. Um, so, uh, and, and by the way, my question for you as far as pursuing a record deal wasn't, and I don't know if you answered it for, for the here and now, but um, more so when you first moved to Seattle, was that, mm-hmm. your, was that your MO then? <clears throat> yeah, I, th- I actually, yeah, back then I think it was. Okay. Um, I sent my CD to venues that I wanted to play at, to record labels that I wanted to be on. Mm. Um, a few venues got back to me, and when I was able to kind of book a tour around that, which was nice. Uh, but it wasn't until my second record came out. The first one uh, was called Failures in Motion. It came out in 2001, and then I recorded That was a five song EP. Then I recorded the Lake effect in 2004 and that came out that same year. Mm-hmm. And that was just DGH or was that with Kendrick? That was just my name, Daniel G Harmon. Okay. Yeah. Kendrick was, you know, we never recorded or anything. So oh, when gotcha. I came to Seattle, I was like, what, what's gonna, my artist name going to be? And I was like, well, I kind of like my name and mm-hmm. I'll add the initial. Um, it's fire. So <laughs> thanks. <laughs> it's fire. If you're a classical, uh, <laughs> piano player or something. Um, but, uh, so I, I kind of quote unquote shopped the, you know, the rough mixes mm-hmm. of the lake effect and a label out of Chicago picked it up mm. and I was very lucky, but also unlucky cause they definitely sold me like a bill of goods yeah. and, um, we're like, we're going to take you on tour. And then nothing really ever happened. They did pay for, cd distribution you know replication distribution they paid to master it and mix it which was all nice um but i wasn't trying to get anything out of it which is good because i certainly didn't okay (laughs) Uh, Okay. i just wanted to like maybe get hooked up with a booking agent and go play shows you know yeah um a little bit of that happened but i it was still pretty regional and a lot of like locals you know seattle stuff and also west coast um but yeah, it, at that point I was like, well, I guess I understand why people don't like record labels. <laughs> you know, they seem to be dying anyway, so who cares? Sure. You know, that was like 2004 to 2006 when I really worked that record. And then by 2007, I was like, well, I'm just going to press my own. Smart man. So. And, and, and so, you know, I asked this because at least for, for myself, speaking for myself, not the entire hip hop community, which I am by no means a representative of. But I saw hip hop as a means to get to a place where I could find, and you know, in simple terms, freedom, right? Financial freedom, success—the things that my parents came here for. So for me, it seemed to be that finding a record deal who could sign you was like your key to freedom. And you know, I I don't know if that's the perspective that's shared with all musicians around the world. It sounded like you know you had a little bit of that behind you, although you weren't looking to get something out of it per se aside from playing shows and whatnot so talk to me a little bit about um your situation moving to seattle were you were you working a full-time job what was what was that like in order to not feel that like financial desperation in certain ways and and maybe even like dig into that 
record deal or record situation further or perhaps land yourself a even worse situation. I mean, that's something that I feel like oh, a lot yeah. of independent artists face. For sure. Uh, I was working full time. I worked at hotels uh, even when I lived in Arizona and then okay. I moved to to when I moved to Seattle, I landed in a couple different hotels and all through that time was still doing music mm. and um, they were all very supportive. And I think I actually ended up quitting and being like, I'm just going to work a dumb job uh, and focus on music. And that was like 2002, uh -huh. which I did. And then I moved to Portland um, and worked, went, landed back in a hotel, uh, worked in hotels while work, still working on music, came back to Seattle and then got hired at like a cooking school. And then I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm going to do the thing that my parents always thought I should do, which is what my dad did, which was become an electrician. Okay. So I did that. I went also while recording records and playing shows. Wow. I went to school for five years and worked as an electrician for eight, um, getting up at four in the morning, sometimes not sleeping, <laughs> you know, just still being a little drunk uh, and rolling into work or, you know into class uh at six or seven in the morning wow um and quickly realized you know quickly after eight years of doing it because you kind of once you start you kind of have to stick with it mm -hmm. uh that i didn't want to be involved in it anymore mostly because of just the the bigotry and homophobia and sexism and racism that kind of you know comes with a lot of people that are in that trade mm. uh just construction trade in general not everyone i made a lot of great friends that i'm still friends with uh through that but it i just realized it wasn't my scene luckily quote unquote luckily i got laid off around that same time mm. and realized i was wasn't going to go back so i started doing some remote work and um for different companies different like little startups here and there and and realized that was more my vibe because I could work from home and still work on music and that's still what I do I you know work for a you know <laughs> a music distributor uh which works fine and and for what I like to do in life which is play music so awesome. I'm very lucky but it took a long time yeah no thank you for sharing you know your your journey because I think I, I think for a lot of us um for me especially I thought I didn't make it until I can make music a full-time thing and um and and fact of the matter is like even i was thinking about this the other day even artists like the most successful artists still have a job and what i mean by that is i was listening to an asap rocky interview today um where he was talking about frank ocean and um how he finessed himself out of like 20 million dollars with a record deal yeah. or something to that to that to that effect but one of the things that he shared was that he had gotten some sort of sponsorship or some sort of um, deal with, I think it was Apple Music at the time, and then ASAP, it might have been ASAP, yeah, it was ASAP Rocky, Inst got inspired out of that situation to get a sponsorship with Mercedes and, and kind of do things his way. And, you know, obviously you have different artists coming out with clothing lines and, and not just merch lines, but like actual legitimate like clothing lines and makeup lines and all that stuff. All that to say that um, while music is certainly a passion for a lot of us, um, it may not necessarily be the case where you've made it means that you're working on music all the time. And I think it, I kind of came to that junction when I was, I mean, not too long ago, 27, 
where I realized like, okay, I can't make music my full-time thing. I have responsibilities now, wife, married, got kids, mortgage, all the fun stuff that comes with adulting, of course. And, um, and music is just not paying the bills. Um, although I worked for a recording studio for some time, I was still working for other people and clients. And so even though I was kind of like in the mix, right, I was working in a recording studio. I wasn't making barely any money, number one. And number two, uh, music all the time. Um, now I'm at a sweet spot where similar to, you know, DGH here, like I work from home, I have flexibility, I get a chance to do what it is that I like to do in the sense of, of course, with, you know, taking care of all my work items uh, on a day to day basis. But before and after work, during lunch break, during some downtime, I can hop on logic and, and, you know, pop something out real quick. Like that's life for, I don't know, 99.9% of musicians, if not all of us to a degree, right? A hundred percent. I don't. Yeah. I don't think. I, I don't think there's a place to make it to. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is is there? A, unless you're Drake, I guess. I don't know. Like, well, I think that you know, dudes like Drake are very fortunate, and mm-hmm. he also he started young and was able to maintain that, and mm-hmm. in not just in touring, right? I think when I think about like where I wouldn't want to be, <laughs> is where I thought I would wanted to be ten or twenty years ago, which yeah. is a. a someone that is a touring musician yeah then all of a sudden no one gives a crap about you and you then have to do a job that you would never imagine that you would have to do right because your your skill set that you've spent the last 20 to you know 10 to 20 years is awesome but it's not practical in the real world you know so that would be that would be heartbreaking to me um that's why you see a lot of old bands old punk bands or whatever going back on the road because Mm. that is their income you know that's why they're doing live streams that's why they're trying to keep it up because they don't want to i'm assuming get a job at walmart (laughs) yeah i mean it, it after you're on on stage with people singing your songs even if they're not singing your songs and you're just at a festival that you somehow managed to pull and and you're singing in front of hundreds if not thousands of people like going to a job that although it it is very it's dignified work definitely don't want to underestimate the labor uh force that's there it's it it is very heartbreaking and i think i I wanted to touch on something because you and i have talked about it offline and i i don't think it's discussed too much especially not maybe now more more than before in the hip-hop community it's just this whole notion of, of of mental health and how being on the road all the time, especially like partying and, and all that stuff. And again, not knocking anyone for doing that. I've, I've had my fair share of fun. But um, I think the lifestyle in and of itself, touring all the time, not having kind of like your roots is, is, is just, it, it can get very overwhelming, especially if you're a little bit more prone to, you know, mental health issues and whatnot. Um, I don't know about you, man, but like for me, the times that I've gone off tour or the times that I've gotten off, you know, concerts or, or, or being in front of the stage and I, f- I found myself trying to chase that high again. Um, and, and so I can only imagine if you're playing for so long and then after a while, the, the show stops, the income stops, like, like what are you looking forward to now? You know, I, I feel like I have a lot to look forward to because I didn't l- get lucky and I didn't get to experience all that craziness that comes with like actually like touring as a full-time musician. 
Um, is that is that kind of where your headspace is at as well, or or I mean, do you wish you toured more? I mean, what what are your thoughts on all that? No, I think and thank you for asking. I think early on, you know, in the early to mid two thousands, I was very focused on trying to get a. Uh, booking agent versus like a record label. I wanted someone to put me on the road, you know, for extended periods of time. I wanted to go on tour with bigger bands um, instead of just playing local shows. But then I started to realize kind of the beauty in playing these local shows was Mm -hmm. that like I'm doing a thing that a lot of people really strive to do. So had to kind of, you know, check myself a little bit. Um, I, where I'm at now, I have zero interest literally of even like playing a show (laughs) let alone going on tour um you know i'm happy in my life i'm happy i'm married i have you know animal children uh that i love and i i just i like creating music Mm -hmm. and i think one thing that's really challenging for me mentally is going from and i'll go back to why i don't really want to play shows but um going from a person who's a songwriter who writes songs that whether you, you tell yourself this is happening or not, it doesn't matter because it's happening. You, you write songs in a way that you, you hear them fully formed as how I'm going to perform them on stage or how they're going to sound on a record. But ultimately, how am I going to figure this out to play in front of people? Mm. So that's always the thing. It's like, can I play this guitar part while I'm singing? Can I, you know, what's going to happen here if I'm on stage? Having that not even be a thing anymore is, is very weird, but also kind of uh, liberating mm. <laughs> in the sense of like, all right, like you asked me to play, you want me to sing and play on your song? You want me, to, you asked me to sing and play keyboards on your hip hop or R&B song. I would love to do that oh, Yeah. with zero, like, you know, thought of like, we'll ever play this live. <laughs> and yeah. even if, and if that ever happened, I would spend a day trying to relearn all of that crap. Right. right. But like now I can just be like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Instead of having to like overthink it, which is what I would always do of like, how am I ever going to reproduce this? Damn. You know? Yeah. So now we live in a time where like, we're all everyone sharing and collaborating, which is to me, it's awesome. Like, yeah. it's, you know, Things suck in a lot of ways, but in that spirit, things are way better than they've ever been. You know, you and I are on different coasts, three-hour time zone, and we're talking in real time. You know, you literally saw the sun go down behind me and how dark it got in here. Like, that is amazing to me. And so we have to embrace these things that are that we can use as tools instead of sweating like, well, I guess I'm not going to play at the sunset you know, ever again. I don't care about that stuff. And back into why I don't care about that. The only joy that I ever got from playing live shows was literally the 15 to, you know, 35 minutes that I was on the stage. Wow. My, my, my wife called it perfectly. She called it pre-show Dan. And it was like from, you know, 7am to seven or 9pm the day of a show. I was a piece of shit. Mm. Like she did not want to deal with me. She didn't want any, she didn't want to be around me just because I was in my head. Right. I was stressing about, not about like how I'm going to perform, but like who's going to come to the show. Are people going to come to the show? Will I be able to hear myself in the monitors? You know, is my amp going to work tonight? You know, all of these mini things that are out of our control that I was just focused on Mm -hmm. that would 
ruin the day for me when I should be like, I'm having, I'm having fun. I'm playing a show in front of people. Being on tour is awesome because you allow yourself to be like, this is my life for a week. This is my life for two weeks. And I'm with homies that like, get it. That's their life too. So we're going to talk and we're going to have fun in the van or whatever, and then go and play a show. Mm-hmm. Real world doesn't exist in that world. Yep. Right. Yep. <laughs> you said, it. you know, so I had fun doing that. That was a great time in my life, but you know, I'm, I'm not interested in booking a West coast tour to, and playing to no one ever again. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I had no idea. So I, I get show jitters as well. I don't think mine turned me into pre-show Nico, but, um, <laughs> but, at the but that's s- the thing is they go, as soon as I get in front of the mic and it is time to go, You're I have set. no jitters. Yeah, It's just yeah. like, it's all the crap right. leading up to it. No, that, that makes total sense. I, I, I think for me, just the, the notion of pulling away from reality and I, and I'm glad you said that and, and we'll, we'll leave it at, at, at this last kind of bit here, a segment, if you will. I, I think that now you, you can sort of make your own reality with the tools that we have available to us today. Like you said, between zoom calls and, and collaborating with people coast to coast. And I mean, you and I have gotten on a, on a song that was produced by a homie who is in South Florida, who, you know, produced the beat without knowing that a year later, you know, my homie from Seattle is going to play guitar on it and sing vocals. And, and we do a bilingual Spanish English rap song or whatever all that said who i may never meet yeah yeah right <laughs> and 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 i look at his life and i and i and i say you know 10 years ago i would have loved to be in his shoes but because he's a full-time artist and producer but you know with unfortunately with the pandemic a lot of the stuff that a lot of his income streams kind of dwindled into as far as i'm i'm not speaking into him specifically but a lot of the touring artists were not able to do what they did for revenue and for income and i was fortunate that i wasn't in that position and I was still able to experiment like you are able to experiment now without having to necessarily focus on how will this play out in a show. Same thing for me. I'm, I'm not really focused on whether or not people like it enough to book me for shows, but that I enjoy making it and music that I enjoy making as well. And there's no intention of trying to get signed like three or four years ago where I, I really was just trying to make commercial music that the gatekeepers would like, right? And I mean, that was just sucking the soul out of me. So all that said. Well, another thing to realize too about the people that do do get have the opportunity, you know, and are hashtag blessed to do it full time. Mm-hmm. They're working on a lot of stuff they don't want to work on. Oh, yeah, you, yep. He, I mean, I've, I've seen posts where same dude just, <laughs> I mean, without getting too much into the, into the nitty gritty, like, yeah, just, I think he said the other day, like, no more commercial pop songs. This is, you know, this one's for the real fans or something like that. I was like, yeah, okay. I get it, man. I get it. You know, totally. Yeah. My, I have uh, several friends who are full-time studio engineers Mm -hmm. and producers and they're, you know, 80% of their income is like modern country (laughs) and like modern, like mom's christian music yeah. people going like moms going into like s- record their christian album right, right and they're like you know I, I enjoy the paycheck and i am able to express myself a little bit here and there right. but that wasn't how they envisioned it happening yeah you know, just because i can hit spacebar and pro tools <laughs> you know Dude. now i'm doing all this stuff that i don't want to work on and a, a good friend of mine said this and and he said that when when he he reached the the job or he, he got the job that he's currently in now 
which happens to be in music. Um, he thought he'd have it made, but it sucked the passion for music away. But that said, man, I, I, I think it's great, you know, again, uh, to, to bring it full circle from the beginning. Thank you to our sponsors, DistroKid, because as an independent artist, I get to control every facet of my music making from who I want on the beat, who if I can make the beat, I'll make it, the production, whether or not I want guitars and how to arrange that. Uh, of course, with the consent of the collaborator. Uh, but all that said, like you can put your music out there nowadays with a click of a button and, of course, filling out a form the appropriate way, making sure that everything is filled out correctly. Um, and millions of people have access to the apps, the DSPs that your music is now on. So it doesn't take a lot. I mean, the what's the word? The entry point or uh, the barrier to entry is, 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 is lower in a sense. And at the same time, you have to work your ass off in order to, to actually like get people to listen to it. But that's kind of the enjoyable part. And uh, at least to me, it is the puzzle piece, right? Yeah. Trying to figure that out. Um, and, and I mean, people talk a lot of shit about like Spotify and stuff, but I think to me as an artist, I, I go, well, I sold a CD at a show. Yeah. That is a one-time purchase. Right. But now I have hundreds, if not thousands of people listening to my stuff every day, yeah. which not only is rad, mm -hmm. <laughs> but also is making me money every single day instead of just that one time $10 that I spent $9 on. Dude, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pulling up our, our Spotify artist app, my, my Spotify artist app right now. And, and it just so happens to be that my top stream song for the week is Dream Big by... Nico Santana and DGH and the top so the top countries that have streamed this song in the last 28 days Mexico Philippines Guatemala of course the US and Brazil now I've been to four to the five countries I've never been to Guatemala but even then I wouldn't carry CDs with me to every single one of these cities we didn't tour there yeah we didn't tour there and so to your point DGH man like you, you said it you you have not only is it where you can sell a CD back in the day when you would sell a CD to a one per, you know one person and that's it. Now you have access to people you would have never come across because you know we've employed both our you know our marketing strategy and of course you know the reach that Spotify has to be able to reach people like that. And so I think it's great, man. I think there's a lot of opportunity for people. Obviously, you have to be hungry. You have to have a passion for every facet of of music making and music. Uh, uh, distribution in a sense and music marketing to a degree if you if you don't know i mean ask people there's a lot of information out there for people to kind of consume and digest and implement most of which is free most of which is free um and so i, I would encourage anybody who's a diy artist like we are to kind of learn every facet of of the music production and music marketing and music distribution um processes so that you can actually get your music in front of people and still do this while you have a full-time job waking up at four o'clock in the morning and going to class at six i mean it doesn't really matter what situation you're in as long as it makes you happy and it you know it fulfills you in some way shape or form do it like that's all yep. that matters right um unless you disagree with that dgh <laughs> no not at all not at all everyone uh you know we live in an amazing time. Yeah. We live in a terrible time, but we also live in an amazing time where, you know, as an artist, you can do whatever you want. Facts. And for very little amount of money, you know, you it's easy it. to learn how to do things. It's easy to learn how to, you know, most 
computers now come with audio recording gear on yep. them. <laughs> you know, uh, if you want to put a song out, you can record it tonight and have it on the internet tomorrow. So that is amazing. And I think people, um, you know, are learning that, which is beautiful. Like, look at Lil Nas X. Lil Nas, not Little. Uh, Lil. Lil Nas X. Yeah. I mean, dude bought a sound a, a track off what Beat Stars. Yeah. And like rapped over it, and there and here we are. You know, like yeah. N- t- do that twenty years ago. You it's know? crazy. Yeah. No. People. Yeah. People getting discovered left and right off TikTok and yeah. SoundCloud and all that stuff. So it's cool, man. There's there's opportunity out there for sure. But uh, you know, even even the one percent or the ninety nine point nine percent of us, like it, it, it's at the end of the day if making music is something that gives you life and and joy and whatever yeah. like gives you another reason to, to to live or breathe or be like do it you know what i mean so yep. um so with that said guys i want to leave it here because we've had a lot of great conversation with the man the myth the legend daniel g ah. Harmon. check him out on spotify all your dsps of course we have a record out called dream big Again, one of my favorite records. I think it's inspirational in my personal opinion, um, but it's telling you to dream big. So don't forget to do that. Um, follow him on Daniel G. Harmon on Spotify. Um, I, I know you're not that active on YouTube, but you have a YouTube channel, so I'll plug it in here as well. Thank you. Where you distribute your, your music as well. And as far as I go, man, like I said, I, I make music too. So if you guys want to follow me on Spotify, go ahead I would more so appreciate a subscribe uh, or smashing the subscribe button and the like button and sharing this with friends or coworkers, whoever it is that makes music, perhaps somebody that you know that you haven't talked to in years, please share it with them. We are um, trying to get this, you know, kind of off the ground, if you will. So anything that you could do to help this motivate another DIY artist like ourselves would be greatly appreciated and again thank you to our sponsors distro kid again you can say save seven percent off your first year's year your first year's annual membership plan say that 10 times fast um and it's only nine. <laughs> you have right i feel like you have <laughs> <laughs> and it's only 19.99 a year for the basic plan so uh much love guys thanks for tuning in and uh thank you nico for having me on dude i don't want you to end it without me saying thank you because man i appreciate no it. i appreciate you, so you and we hope to see you on the podcast again my friend um hopefully this you is will. not the first no, the first time but not the last I'm coming back for season two y'all yes sir so <laughs> all right y'all thanks so much, much love talk to you